Well, today we are in the sixth week of a sermon series as we move through this summer, a very significant section of scripture, Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. In these 13 verses, the Apostle Paul reminds followers of Christ just what we need to do to put our faith into action to be the solution to the brokenness in the world around us. As we've been saying every single week that we go one week at a time, one verse at a time. We've been saying how in this short section of scripture, Paul uses 38 verbs to describe what we are to do as followers of Christ. And if you've missed any of those, you can get caught up with us on our YouTube channel. We started on that first week back in the month of June on a sermon titled, Love Without Hypocrisy. We find ourselves today in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, in the sixth week of this sermon series. Again, just one verse, but as we've been discovering, these short sections of scripture have so much in them for us to unpack in our lives. And as we find ourselves in this passage of scripture, whether you have a physical Bible or a device that enables you to access scripture digitally. I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. The Apostle Paul writes through the power of the Holy Spirit, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. And as we say every week, thanks be to God. All right, we find ourselves in this passage, the Apostle Paul Uh, has a combination of words here that if we get one word wrong, the whole passage, the whole verse cannot become unlocked. You know those, those combo locks? You know, we've got these on gates. We've got these on lockers. Uh, this, this lock right here has, uh, you know, four dials with numbers on them. Numbers from zero uh, all the way up to nine. And, you know, I remember as a kid becoming fascinated with these things and how, you know, you can pull on them and they won't open up. And you just, you have to get the right combination of numbers together for this to unlock. And in the same way, you could say that the Apostle Paul says that when we experience persecution, we actually become shackled in life. And there are a lot of different options for how we can respond to persecution. And if we get the response wrong, it's kind of like we have selected the wrong number on a combination lock. And if we do the, the wrong thing, we stay shackled. So when, when, when people persecute us and we think that the The solution is to, to complain. We might select that. We, we stay shackled. Maybe we, we, we think that we should just get bitter and we select that and that keeps us shackled. Maybe in some cases we think that we should get revenge and we, we select that when people persecute us and we, we stay shackled. Maybe sometimes we think that if we spread a false report about somebody else or we get back at somebody, spread a false rumor, that that's going to solve the problem to someone persecuting us and we select that and that keeps us shackled. 
And the Apostle Paul says that there's only one thing that we can do, only one choice, only one thing that we can select that will actually cause our life to become unlocked, a joy to become unlocked, a peace to become unlocked, a, a Christ in us, the hope of glory that is the solution of the brokenness of the world that can become unlocked. And the Apostle Paul says that the one action that we can do when we are persecuted is to bless those that persecute us. But what does that mean in practice? I mean, what does that mean actually in this moment of time in the year 2020 or whatever year it is that we later on will look upon this? What does that mean in our everyday lives and in our interactions with others, with neighbors, coworkers, families, maybe even friends or people that we've never met before? What does that look like in practice? Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at what the Apostle Paul meant by the word persecute and what that means for us today. And then we're going to take a look at what the Apostle Paul meant by bless and what that means for us today. And my hope and my prayer is that if you haven't yet been persecuted, which we'll define in a moment, you will learn the right combination the one response that God calls us to do, to be the hands and feet of Jesus that would be the solution to the brokenness in the world around us, that actually would lead to your joy and your peace and your security. So let's take a look at this. You know, the word persecute is the Greek word dioko. Let me hear you say dioko. I trust that you said that. Dioko, it's actually a neutral word, if you can imagine that. The word for persecute in the Greek language doesn't have necessarily a negative connotation to it. As a neutral word, it can be defined in certain situations in either a positive way or in a very negative way. Now, in Romans 12, 14, Paul means it in a negative way. But let, let, let's take a look at this word dioko, which we translate sometimes as persecute. We sometimes translate it as seek. We sometimes translate it as pursue. We sometimes translate it as run after. So the image of this Greek word dioko is one who is running after something. Now, to run after something makes it either positive or negative depending on what you are running after. So there's all these verses that use it in a positive sense. I want you to hear some of these passages that use that same Greek word that often is translated as persecute, but is used in a positive way because it gives an image of us as followers of Christ running towards the things that God longs for us to run towards. Listen to this. This is 1 Timothy 6.11. The Apostle Paul says, but as for you, follower of Christ, pursue, that's the same word as persecute, dioko, but pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. There's a command to run after those things. And from God's perspective, that is a positive dioko, a positive thing to pursue, a positive thing to strive for and chase after. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says this, See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek. That's the word dioko. Seek to do good to one another. 
And not just to one another as followers of Christ, but seek, pursue, strive, run after doing good to all people. From God's point of view, that is a running after the right thing. In 1 Peter 3.11, it says this, Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek, this is the Greek word dioko, to pursue, to run after, to strive for, to seek after peace. That blesses God's heart when we run after those things. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, it says this, to pursue. It's that same word dioko which sometimes is translated as persecute. But in here, of course, it's a positive sense because the Apostle Paul says that we should run after love. And then he says, and strive. He uses that same Greek word, dioko. Strive for the spiritual gifts. And then how interesting, in Romans 12, 13, the verse that I preached on last week, uses that same Greek word, dioko. When the Apostle Paul writes, to not just contribute to the needs of the saints, but to extend, that is the word dioko. To pursue, to strive for, to chase after. What? Hospitality to strangers. Last week we talked about this. And if you missed it, you can go back and listen to that message that we're called to run after loving others, loving strangers, loving even people who believe differently than us. So this word dioko can be used in a positive way, of course, when we run after the things that God delights in, but also that word can be used in a negative sense. That's what Paul is talking about here. When people persecute you, Now, there's all these verses that talk about the type of things that people can run after you and do. They can run after you and insult you. They can run after you and mock you. They can run after you and disdain you, revile you. They can uh, run after you and abuse you verbally. They can run after you and, and physically hurt you. They can run after you and take your property. They can run after you and put you in jail. They can run after you and kill you. And that's what Paul's talking about. That there's going to be times in your life where people will run after you, will dioko you in a negative sense. And Paul is clearly saying, not just to the first century Christians in Rome, but to followers of Christ everywhere, there is only one response that we are called to do that will unlock not only something in your life, but will Unlock in the world around you for God's glory and for God's joy and actually for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And Paul says that we should bless those who persecute you. But let's dive deeper into this idea of what persecution is. In fact, Jesus says it very plainly. This is a very significant, longer section of Scripture. This is found in John 15. I'm going to read this entire passage because if we misunderstand what Jesus says here, we will misunderstand what persecution really is. In John 15, uh, beginning in verse 18, Jesus says this. He says this to followers of Jesus. He says, if the world hates you, Be aware that it hated me, Jesus, 
before it hated you. You see, if you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you do not belong to the world, but I, Jesus, have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world now hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, they will, they will persecute you. In other words, Jesus is saying, if they ran after me with insults, if they ran after me and mocked me, if they ran after me and arrested me, if they ran after me and beat me, if they ran after me and crucified me, Jesus says, you can expect the same thing in your life. And the key here, Jesus is saying that all persecution from a biblical definition is where people are running after and doing these negative things to Christ. And they did it to Christ first, and they're going to do it to followers of Christ in as much as they reflect Christ to the world. Now, this is very key, very key to understand because Jesus is saying in this passage that when people persecute you, when they run after you, it is persecution in and only if they are attacking Jesus in you as a follower of Christ. Now, the problem is, is that uh, sometimes we, we misapply that definition of persecution and we, we over-categorize the things in our life as persecution. So, for example, if somebody... Uh, criticizes you and they're criticizing you for behavior that actually isn't Christ-like, that's not persecution by a biblical definition. They're just criticizing you for perhaps it might even be bad behavior. And in certain instances, if you feel like you are constantly being persecuted, in every area of your life, chances are you are not reflecting Jesus in every area of your life as well. Because remember, in Acts chapter 2, it said about the early church that the early church found favor with all the people. So when we are actually living in such a way where Jesus is radiating through our lives, the world will take notice and in some cases, they will not only appreciate it, they will thank us for it, they will bless us for it, they will extend gratitude for it. But in some cases, they will respond and run after us with insults. So a good litmus test is, if you feel every area of your life you're being persecuted, chances are you aren't actually reflecting Jesus because you should be reflecting Jesus in such a way that causes some people and sometimes to rejoice and be drawn to you, the Christ in you. But also, if you never experience anybody criticizing you for following Christ, then perhaps you are withholding Jesus in your life and you are too much in the world. And let me continue on in, in John 15. Jesus goes on and he says this in verse 21, they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they do not know him, God, who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus says about himself, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, 
they would not have sinned. But now that they have seen and hated both me and my father, it was to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. So by definition, what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate is that there are times in your life where people will attack not your non-Christian behavior, but they will attack Christ in you. They will come after and insult you for following Jesus' teaching. In those moments, that is persecution. And in a bit, I'm going to talk about what that means to then bless people in return. But what I want to do is I want to step aside for a moment. And if I may, yeah, I kind of want to do a sermon within a sermon. Because there's this other thing that I believe is happening in the world and it is seeping into the church and we confuse this with persecution. One of the things that I'm seeing in the world right now is that there is this overwhelming sense that everybody is offending everybody. I mean, you can't turn on the news without somebody being offended by somebody else and then retaliating with an offense in return. You, You can't scroll through social media without seeing people offend one another. We live in a culture that rises up and is offended all the time. And as followers of Christ, there are many passages in Scripture that speak to us as followers of Jesus. And I want to speak very clearly right now to followers of Jesus on how to guard against offense. And what I mean by that is that when somebody says something or does something, if we are too much swayed by the world, if our natural reaction is that we get offended very quickly by seeing something on a sign, by seeing somebody else's social media post, If we immediately get offended because a spouse uh, didn't put the right amount of salt on our eggs, if we immediately get offended because somebody didn't say something when we thought they should have said something, if we immediately get offended because a neighbor uh, seemed to give us the cold shoulder, if we get offended in these ways, what can happen is hatred can well up in our heart. Angerness can well up in our heart that actually leads to sin. It leads to bitterness. It actually leads to doing things that breaks God's heart. In fact, Scripture constantly talks about how difficult it is, even within the body of Christ, even within the community of believers, when one person gets offended. Let me me give you one of these passages. In the, the book of Proverbs, it says it this way, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. You see, arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Jesus said that in the last days that there will be a spirit of offense that will rise up in the world. And Jesus in Matthew 24 warns followers of Jesus to not allow that spirit of offense to seep into the church family. He says that there's going to be a day when that will happen, when the spirit of offense will rise up in a church family within brothers and sisters of Christ. 
and they will begin to hate one another and they will begin to betray one another. And what happens then is that disunity begins to rise up. The fracturing of the body of Christ begins to happen. And there's something the Apostle Paul constantly speaks out against through many of his letters to not allow disagreements, to not allow discord, to not allow differences of opinion to cause you to become so offended that disunity in the body of Christ happens. Because when disunity in the body of Christ happens, it squelches what the Holy Spirit can do within the body of Christ. It limits what God can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, being offended actually stamps out the possibility of love flowing through our lives. In research this last week, I was reading commentaries about this and you know, I, I, I've, I've never really considered this idea, and I realize even in my own life, and I, I'm going to confess this to you, I look back on my own life and I realize, wow, I can get pretty offended at things pretty quickly if and only when people begin to question my motives. And I found that over the last number of years, I can have pretty you know, thick skin in some ways. I'm, I'm not easily offended in those ways. But the moment someone says to me or emails me or writes me or anonymous notes me and says what my motives are that I know are completely different than what they actually are, I find myself getting very offended in that moment. I feel like I have to justify myself. I feel like I have to respond. I feel like I have to put in their mind me in the right place. And I find that in those moments, I get wrapped up into this frenzy. Do you experience that? Do you find yourself being easily offended over things? Maybe it's something that has nothing to do with you, but you see on TV and you immediately rise up and get offended. Maybe it's something that you overhear somebody say in person that has nothing to do with you and you easily rise up and get offended. Is it something that someone does and you assume the motives and you get easily offended? Is it something that causes you bitterness and anger that causes you to question motives, to seek revenge? I find myself sometimes in those moments. And in my research this week, as I poured through commentaries, as I looked at scholarly work about what Scripture says about not only not being offended and not only giving offense, I stumbled across an anonymous post on a bulletin board. And so I don't even know how to cite the author here because it wasn't signed, it was anonymous. But there was something that, I resonated with, and I want to share with you. They wrote this. The question we could ask is, do we as Christians have a right to be personally offended? Jesus and all the things done against him, in every offense made against him, more than we could ever suffer in a thousand lifetimes, Jesus was never offended personally. 
mean, think about that. Can you ever recall a time where Jesus responded in a way where he was just offended at what somebody did or didn't do? This anonymous author goes on. Would we not be offended if most mocked us and wanted to kill us? If Jesus didn't become offended for such extremes, why should we be offended at lesser things if we are dedicated to following the example of Jesus? But if someone offends us personally and it actually has nothing to do with Jesus, this is what I want us to catch. What this anonymous author is saying when someone offends us personally and it has nothing to do with Jesus, in other words, this is not persecution because they're not going after your faith. They're not going after Christ in you. They're not going after you putting into practice the way of Jesus. But when someone offends you personally, and it's got nothing to do with Jesus, this author says, then it simply doesn't matter. We are to let it go. Easier said than done, right? Being offended is only concerned with self. There's no way around that because it's only the self that was offended and to the self that the offense was made. Being personally offended is a waste of time and is selfish and is focusing on oneself. But the Bible, on the other hand, the word of God is all about dying to self. Jesus was never selfishly offended by things done against him because he constantly wanted to do the will of the Father. So let's unpack this anonymous thought. Let's, let's interact with this together in this moment, in this mini-sermon within a larger sermon about persecution. And I'm doing this because I think we often confuse being offended with being persecuted and what this author is saying, which I wholeheartedly agree with, is that there are some times where people are offending me. And that's the me that is still the part of me that hasn't yet been transformed by Jesus Christ. It is the selfish part of me. It is the prideful part of me. It is the me that wants to be in control. It is the me that needs to be right all the time. It is the me that has to have the last word. You see, there's part of me that the Apostle Paul says that hasn't yet been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a journey of sanctification that happens that begins the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that will become completed, Philippians 1.6 says, at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, even the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, there's things he says that I want to do that I don't do. And there's also things that I don't want to do that I still do. There's this war within me. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest followers of Jesus says, he's saying that there is part of us that is still our sinful, selfish, not reliant on God, part of ourselves, and there's part of us that we have given Christ access to. And persecution, by definition, is when somebody runs after you and attacks you, either verbally or physically, attacks the part of you that has been transformed by Jesus Christ. But when somebody makes fun of you, uh, mocks you, criticizes you, or it's not even about you and you get offended by something, then chances are it's the part of you that hasn't yet been transformed by Jesus Christ. And scripture says, be very, very careful to guard against that. 
Because in our flesh, we can begin to rise up and get revenge and get bitter and get complaining and start to grumble. And we can actually perpetuate a level of brokenness, not only in the world, but also in the church. And it causes disunity. It causes discord. It causes hate and jealousy and factions. And that grieves God's heart. And the solution, the response is, when you find yourself welling up and you are offended, to begin to practice, prayerfully, it has to be a conversation with God. God, is this person attacking you in me? Or are they attacking the part of myself that hasn't yet been transformed by you, Jesus. And that takes a lot of maturity, even to pause in the moment. That takes so much maturity to even be able to, to think, to pray in those moments. And what Jesus says in John 15, at the end of the section, he says, therefore, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is going to equip you in those things. So as followers of Jesus, we can rely on the Holy Spirit in those moments when we find ourselves rising up, when we feel offended, to pray to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, is this person attacking me or Christ in me? And if it's attacking me, then we also have to say, God, in this moment, this takes a lot of humility. This takes a lot of maturity to say, God, is there something that you want me to hear that actually is truth? Am I actually being offended because I am guarding against an area of my life that I don't want to change, but actually you, God, want to change? So there might be moments Whereas we are praying to God, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to us, that we might find ourselves getting offended because we're actually trying to protect our pride. Or we're trying to protect our ability to always have the right answer. And in those moments, we can actually pray to God, God, would you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you transform this part of me? Would you do the work that you long to do in me? But if we allow the offense to rise up in our life, it's like we've built a wall in our life and we keep the other person at bay, but also more importantly, more significantly, more devastatingly, we keep God at arm's length from actually being to transform us in the way that God needs to transform us. So my hope and my prayer, let's just, for my own life, that as I find more and more myself rising up and getting offended over things that I actually have to pause in humility and turn to God, to pray to God, to have God's word search me, the spirit of God to search me. And if it's something that has yet to be transformed by Jesus Christ, if that is the thing that is rising up in me, that I have to, with humility, say, Jesus, what is the truth that you want me to hear in this moment? Even if somebody's not even speaking to me, even if it's something far off in the distance that I see that causes me to rise up and be offended. God, what do you want to transform in my life? 
And then we can begin to respond in our relationships in a way that doesn't begin from a place of defense, doesn't begin a response from a place of being offended and seeking to retaliate. You see, this is a sermon within a sermon, but this is so significant. I pray that you would actually consider this, that you would talk about this with God in the hours and days and weeks to come. Because I find where we are today in July of 2020, heading into an election here in the United States. I know we have many listeners outside the United States, but there is going to be a rising up in our culture of people getting offended and giving offense, and we have to guard against that body of Christ. We have to guard against that church to not allow that spirit of offense to move into our church family and cause disunity in the bride of Christ, the church. It's going to take a lot of maturity. It's going to take a lot of prayer. It's going to take a lot of time in God's word to be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's engage in that. But coming back to the, the main sermon, if as we pray, if as we consider, if as we allow God to reveal the truth to us, if the person coming after us, if they are pursuing us, if they are diokoing us, if they are striving to insult Christ in us, if they are mocking us for following Jesus, if perhaps one day we get to the place where we have property taken away from us for following Jesus or arrested for following Jesus or, or even killed for following Jesus. There's only one way we're called to respond. And I've been thinking about that this week. When Paul says that we're called to bless those who persecute us, and how in actual fact, I think that many of us in the United States have no idea what it's like to experience the extreme levels of persecution that not only existed in the first century, but also exist around the world today. And we have no idea what that's like. And if we don't put into practice how to respond when we feel offended. If we don't know how to respond in these littler, tinier ways of persecution, that if and perhaps when that day comes, we won't have the strength, we won't have the fortitude, we won't have the, the toughness or the thickness or the muscle memory to put into practice getting this combination right of blessing those who persecute us. In a moment, I'll give you the definition, Paul's definition of what it means to bless. But let me give you another image. You know, I've grown up surfing. There's this really unique thing that happens at the beginning of every summer. And surfers know this. And maybe if you've been to the beach, you've seen this. Where if you walk barefooted, maybe in a wetsuit or in board shorts, if you walk out at a low tide at First Point Malibu, if you are walking out onto the rocks and you don't have what we call your summer feet, that if you haven't developed the calluses of walking across the rocks, if you've, if you've been wearing shoes all winter, 
you know, the, the bottoms of the soles of your feet get, they get tender and they're sensitive and they're soft. And there's this odd thing that happens and hang with me here. There's this odd thing that happens that at the beginning of the summer, when you go out and surf and walk across low tide and walk across the rocks, there's this thing where it's called, it's called the rock dance. And your feet are so sensitive and you're trying to get out to the water and you can tell that somebody is at the beginning of summer because they can barely put their feet on the rocks because it's so sensitive. And the more and more, as the summer goes on, the more and more you get used to being in bare feet. The more and more you get used to walking on those rocks as a surfer, you begin to develop a callus, a thickness, a toughness on the bottom of your feet and you'll notice that at the end of summer, or people who surf a lot, they have the ability to not do that crazy-looking rock dance going out to the surf break, but they can just walk across those rocks with confidence. They can walk out to the break at a much faster speed. They're not tripping and they're not following. They're not getting things tangled up, but they can move forward because they've developed a strength to be able to handle those rocks. In the same way, when we don't put into practice how to respond when we feel offended or how to respond when we feel verbally insulted for following Jesus, when we don't put into practice those things, it's like our entire life becomes cocooned and protected. If we actually hide Jesus in us and we never live as a follower of Jesus in the workplace or a follower of Jesus out in the world, we actually hide like in a cocoon. Our lives are like uh, within this protected thing that we might find ourselves extremely sensitive. And that's where the Apostle Paul is telling us that we've got an opportunity to grow. That as we grow step by step, we actually develop a resilience. We develop an ability to, to handle even insults that come in. We have an ability to handle when we feel offended by giving it over to God and being transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if there is going to be a one day where surfers have to walk out even across razor sharp coral or sea urchins, if they've developed that thickness, their feet won't get punctured like somebody who's been protecting their feet all year. In the same way, if we ever find ourselves arrested for our faith or property taken for our faith, and it might happen. If we've developed it in these little things, then we're going to be able to actually do the very thing that Paul is calling all of us to do in this passage that will unlock joy, that will unlock peace, that will unlock the solution for the brokenness in the world. And Paul says that, that one thing is to bless those who persecute you. Now, the Greek word is eulogion. It's where we get the word eulogy from. Now, on one hand, you can think that it just means to say a good word about somebody. You know, when you go to a memorial service, a funeral, there's that eulogy where somebody gets up, uh, somebody close to the person who had just passed away, and they, they share a good word about the deceased. That's not what Paul's talking about. It's something deeper. It's actually a Hebrew meaning, a Jewish meaning of this idea 
to bless. And of course, Paul, as a Jewish man, is writing in the Greek language for a Greek audience, but he is bringing the fullness of the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures to this moment. And what he means when he says that we are called to bless those who persecute you, to bless those who insult Christ in you, who mock Christ in you, who disdain Christ in you, who perhaps take property away because of Christ in you, who perhaps arrest you because of Christ in you, who perhaps one day will beat you or kill you for Christ in you. Paul says there's one response, and it's to bless and not curse. And the richness of this word has such powerful meaning because to bless in the Old Testament was to appeal to the maker of heaven and earth, was to go right to the source of life, to go right to the source of the most powerful being in the cosmos, Yahweh, God, the maker of heaven and earth, and to appeal to that God that the person would experience favor from God, that they would experience life from God, that they would experience joy from God, that they would experience peace from God. You see, in Old Testament, a Hebrew scripture perspective of to bless always meant a positive transfer of power. It is for someone to transfer power to the other person by calling upon the most powerful one of all to give that person that power. One of the most famous blessings in all of Scripture is often how we end our services. It's found in Numbers chapter 6. This was a blessing that the Lord God told Moses to tell Aaron and the priests to do to bless the nation of Israel. This blessing... In Numbers 6, verse 24 and 25 and 26 is this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This was meant to be a transfer of power from Moses through the high priest to the entirety of the nation of Israel. It is an appealing to God that they would be transformed, that they would be blessed, that the face of God would shine upon people, that their lives would be filled with joy and hope and meaning and significance. And if you trace that back even further in Genesis 12, God promises Abram that God would bless Abram, that God would bless Abram so that he would have a multitude of a family, so that they would be a blessing for all the nations. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to transfer power, real power, holy power, good power for the flourishing of others. And I want it to flow to you, but also through you to everyone else. To bless somebody else is the greatest gift you can give somebody. 
because you are asking the maker of heaven and earth to extend all the goodness of God, all of God's heart to that person. And Paul, can you believe it? The audacity of Paul to say that even when people insult you for Christ, even when they revile you and rebuke you and mock you and, and arrest you and, and maybe even kill you, that your response would be this. That you would call upon the maker of heaven and earth to shower blessing upon that person. Now, when God blesses, God blesses and gives in a way that sometimes is different than what the person wants. So you can know in that moment, you are not actually asking God to just give that person whatever they want. This is actually where it is a little subversive to bless someone else. And if there's part of you that really struggles with the idea of asking God to bless somebody who is attacking you for your faith, the most powerful response you can ever do, which is infinitely more than getting revenge or getting back or, or complaining, is actually to appeal to God in prayer and say, God, would you transform that person's heart? Through your power, would you transform them to be the type of person that you long for them to be? Would you transform them to be the type of person that doesn't attack your son in me and in other people? And it's remarkable that it is the Apostle Paul who says, bless those who persecute you. And I find it remarkable because if you understand Paul's journey, there was a time long before that, before he was known as Paul, the apostle, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And it actually said that he actually persecuted followers of Christ, that he had a zeal, he pursued, he ran after Christians, he ran after followers of Jesus and actually approved of their killing. He was the biggest offender of all in the first century to persecute Christ in the followers of Christ. People were dead because of his persecution. And what did he experience? He experienced the blessing of God on the road to Damascus when Jesus himself showed up in power, confronting Paul, saying to Paul, why, why are you persecuting me? You see, Jesus says, why are you persecuting my followers? No, he says, why are you persecuting me, Jesus says. And in that moment, the one who is being persecuted, the one who is being ran after with hate, runs after the one who persecutes him, and he runs after him with love. He runs after him with mercy. He runs after him with grace. And it melts Saul's heart. He gives his life to Jesus. And he stops running after, in a negative way, things that attack God. But now he begins to run after things that bless God's heart. And I know that we have people listening today who are not yet followers of Jesus. And you can't stand Jesus. You can't stand things in Christians' lives that actually reflect Jesus. 
And perhaps you have been insulting. Perhaps you have been mocking. Perhaps you have been running after. Perhaps you have come to the comment section on YouTube and you're just here to mock and you're just here to persecute. Well, I want to say to you, I'm glad you're here. There's no place I'd rather you be. Because I believe the maker of heaven and earth has a word for you. And it's this. I've been pursuing you. I've been running after you. I've been seeking you out. And even though you hate me, God perhaps might say, I love you. And I demonstrated my love to you in this, Scripture says, God says, while you had your back to God, that while we were still sinners, while you were still a sinner, while you still are a sinner attacking Christ, Christ died for you. And if you are persecuting the church, if you are persecuting Christ right now, I want you to know that you have a God that loves you. It's not because of what you're doing. It's because God loves you first and longs that you would be melted by that love, that you would drop the walls, that you would drop the scales, that you would actually open your heart and life up to the only one who's going to respond to you, not with offense to give offense, not to persecute you in response to your persecution, but to pursue you in love. Would you say yes to Jesus today? Would you open your heart and your mind up to the one, the only one in the whole planet that's actually going to love you and transform you to be the person that you don't even know you could be? Step into that relationship today. But now let me speak to followers of Christ. There is a joy that comes. There is a contentment that comes actually when we begin to step into the fullness of what this means to bless those who persecute us. Hebrews 13, 12 through 14 says this, remember Jesus suffered outside the city gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. The writer of Hebrews is saying, because Jesus was persecuted, we should run to be with Jesus and allow ourselves to be persecuted. To not complain when we're persecuted, but to take joy in the fact that we are suffering as Christ suffered so that we can bless others with the hope, with the possibility, with the prayer that God would transform that person's life. The writer of Hebrews goes on, for here we have no lasting city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. In fact, scripture goes on and says this, 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.11, to the very present hour, 
We are hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we grow weary from the work of our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we speak kindly. We have become like the rubbish of the world, the dregs of all things to this very day. Now, I got to tell you, this is tough teaching. I imagine there's some people listening right now who are getting offended at this idea that to be a follower of Christ is one to expect persecution. I, I, I imagine that this is hard teaching that might cause them to say, why would I want to follow Jesus if the world is going to hate me and mock me for following Jesus? That seems to, so counterintuitive to what I want. I want to be liked. I want to have joy. I want to have peace. The great irony is that only as we follow Jesus can we begin to experience a real peace that isn't shattered by other people's opinion. It is only when we pursue Jesus that we can experience a real security in our identity that we don't become shattered when people question our motives. It is only when we follow Jesus that we can experience a deep richness and a security that even if people take physical things away or our reputation away, that we don't get shattered because they can't take what Christ has given us. Church, we have an opportunity to be what the world needs now. Blessed people to be a blessing for others. Let's step into this today. Let's talk about what that means with other followers of Christ today. Let's, let's pour into God's word. Let's spend time in prayer and say, Jesus, help me understand what you mean by this. Let's take that step. Let's pray. Jesus, it's remarkable when we look at your life, how much you were mocked, how much you were criticized, how much you were persecuted, insulted. And yet you always responded with love. You always responded with truth. You were never a doormat, but rather you had a humble courage. When you were arrested, it wasn't against your will, but you chose to be arrested because you knew it was the way to the cross. Jesus, when you were crucified, you were not crucified as a victim, but rather you were crucified victorious because you knew it would accomplish the defeat of death, the defeat of sin, and the opportunity to reconcile all people who put their faith and trust in you. So Jesus, would you grow in us through the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you transform us to not be so offended, to not shrink back in fear, to not respond in any other ways when people criticize Jesus, you in us, insult you in us, persecute you in us, that we wouldn't respond any other way than simply to bless the way you define what it means to bless. So Jesus, we go outside. We go outside the places of power that the world says and we go to be with you. Because with you is the place of cosmic power, of cosmic joy, of cosmic peace, of cosmic security. May we bless those who persecute us. Bless and not curse. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.